Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 552. Every day I continued to follow him in his strange dance, and every day he pointedly ignored me. Now, Tabberlin needed to escape, Martin said, continuing his story. But when he looked around his cave, he saw no door, no windows. All around him was nothing but smooth, hard stone. But Tabberlin the Great knew the names of all things and so all things were his to command. He said to the stone, Break! And the stone broke. The wall tore like a piece of paper, and through that hole Tabberlin could see the sky and breathe the sweet spring air. Tabberlin made his way out of the caves, into the castle, and finally to the doors of the royal hall itself. The doors were barred against him, so he said, Burn! And they burst into flame, and were soon nothing more than fine gray ash. Tabberlin stepped into the hall and saw King Skyphus sitting there with fifty guards. The king said, Capture him! But the guards had just seen the doors burn to ash, so they moved closer, but none of them came too close, if you know what I mean. King Skyphus said, Cowards! I will battle Tabberlin with wizardry and best him! He was afraid of Tabberlin too, but he hid it well. Besides, Skyphus had his staff, and Tabberlin had none. Then Tabberlin said, If you're so brave, give me my staff before we duel. Certainly, Skyphus said, even though he didn't really mean to give it back, you see. It's right next to you in that chest there. Martin looked around at us conspiratorially. You see, Skyphus knew the chest was locked and only had one key, and that key was right in his pocket. So Tabberlin went over to the chest, but it was locked. Then Skyphus laughed, and so did a few of the guards. That made Tabberlin angry, and before any of them could do anything, he struck the top of the chest with his hand and shouted, Edro! The chest sprung open, and he grabbed his cloak of no particular color, wrapping it around himself. Martin cleared his throat again. Excuse me, he said, and paused to take another long drink. Hesby turned to Dayton. What color do you think Tabberlin's cloak was? Dayton's forehead creased a bit, almost like the beginning of a scowl. What do you mean? It's no particular color, just like it says. Hesby's mouth went flat. I know that, but when you think of it in your head, what does it look like? You have to picture it as looking like something, don't you? Dayton looked thoughtful for a moment. I always pictured it as kind of the end of the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Drea. And Nick's gone again, so we're going to loot his room. That's right. Uh, ooh, this, uh, this shirt looks rather nice. This, uh, this collection of baubles looks wonderful. I'm definitely going to steal the large gold statue of just himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> as well you should. I'll melt it down and sell it for money. <laughs> oh, Jordana. What am I gonna do with a giant gold statue of Nick? <laughs> well, we can alter it to him. That's what he would want. Oh, then he can have it back. <laughs> yeah, once he learns the name of Stone and escapes his imprisonment. All right, speaking of names, Edro. Mm-hmm. Where, what, why is that familiar? Is it familiar? That I, is familiar lying? because in the in the letter on the previous page, Quoth... So didn't we, we just talked about this, right? <laughs> Quoth, when Quoth is trying to open his thrice-locked chest in the frame narrative at the end of Wise Man's Fear, he kind of, in a moment of like frustration and despair, he goes, open, damn you, Edro. But I think he's like kind of joking. You know, he's he's being wry. You know, 
I'm so glad that we read the letter that we read yesterday before. Yeah, that was good timing. Because, yeah, amazing timing because we're talking about the chest and unlocking of the chest and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I definitely saw the word like, oh, like his stuff was in the chest on this page. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, I definitely did that on purpose. Oh, yeah, I bet you did. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's right. Um, and I think we're also meant to like remember a little bit I because we've heard a version of this story before because this is the story. But it's not a cave. It's a tower. Yeah, but but it's the same idea of like Taverland said, break and the thing breaks. That's mm-hmm. what Shep, that's the story Shep is telling at the very beginning of The Name of the Wind. And, you know, when Eladin uh, takes Quoth to the Rookery, he demonstrates that this is not just some like, you know, storybook nonsense. He can do this very thing. Yes. Yeah. Right? So I think I think that we are meant to to have those resonances in mind. But yeah, you're right to point out that like, this is a, this is like a familiar story, but the details are different because it's not a tower, it's a cave. And the the villain is characterized a bit differently. I don't know if we got to the villain in Shep's story, but like this, this villain is clearly a character who wants something from Taberlin. Yes. Well, I think he just, he wants something from Taberlin, but also maybe to kill him? Well, no, he says on the previous page that he has uh he's imprisoned Taberlin because he needs Taberlin to swear to help him because he knows oh, that right. if Taberlin promises he won't break his word. Right. But we don't know what he wants him to help him with. It could be if uh we are following the logic that Cyphus is a chandronoid and then him in a maybe mirror. well then maybe Cyphus wants Taberlin to help break the curse of the Chandrian. Oh. Right? And Taberlin, for whatever reason, is not willing to do that. I like it. Right? Like, this this could be a story. If Nick's idea that actually the Amir are the bad guys and the Chandrian are the good guys is is uh, borne out, then this might be a story that le- we look back on and go, oh, actually, Taberlin's the asshole in this scenario. Cyphus just wants his help to free him from a dreadful curse, and Taberlin won't do it because of, you know, reasons. Hmm. Say what? Maybe if he did do it, then like Cyphus would be too powerful. Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe it serves the uh, the Emir in some way to have the Chandrian cursed and uh, and and bound in this way. I don't know, but I like the ideas. We also get. Sorry, did you wanna? Did you have something you wanted to? Nope. Nope. Okay. Another thing that I think is interesting about this page is that the way that Martin tells the story is characterizing him. You know, like he he is getting us into Taberlin's head a little bit, or rather, he's he's pulling us back from Taberlin to like let us, the audience, know things about the story that the main character can't know or doesn't know. Right, in order to build suspense, like he says, like what Taberlin didn't know is that the chest was locked and sight and you know, Cyphus has the key. Uh, you know, that's, yes, that's he's, he's third person authoring. Yeah. That's a, and like, that's a storytelling choice that I think that other storytellers we've seen in the book don't necessarily make. And I also kind of think that he is taking these throat clearing breaks on purpose to give his audience the chance to talk about Ooh, the story the a little bit. Yeah. 
well, yes, it's building suspense, but I also think he wants the his audience to have a chance to chat about it. Hmm. Kind of like uh, instead of a movie, it's more of a TV show. Yeah, with like a commercial break and then, you know, you mute your TV until the commercials are over and you talk about, you know, what's just happened or what you think is going to happen with your with your friends or your family. Uh, the kids today won't know this because TV no longer has commercial breaks because none of us are watching television anymore. Um, I mean, unless you're watching it on YouTube, I guess. Mm. But I mean, I mean, kids today could also understand it from like episode to episode. Yes, I suppose. Right? So. Like you watch an episode and then you take a break between to the next one. Mm, not with that attitude. Um, I mean, you could binge the whole series in a night, but do you want to? Sometimes you do. The only other thing I wanted to bring up on this page is we are about to get more of uh, Dayton being thick as two planks when Hespi is clearly trying to like get to know him better and like get him to open up a little bit about his imagination and about his inner life uh, as like a as a you know a a flirting tactic and Dayton is just like not picking it up. I mean, I don't necessarily pick it up as a flirting tactic, but I I see how it could be that. I just kind of see it as like a wants to be conversational, which I guess maybe in 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 terms of Dayton and Hespi's relationship makes it flirting. But I think she's also trying- my answer to this is exactly the same as Dayton's. It is no particular color. That's how it's described. Duh. <laughs> so you don't you don't try to picture what that looks like in your I mean head. I do I do but it's I I I find that already to be very descriptive Right so what does that mean to you It it's not it's every color it's no, it's no colors it's it's it, no particular color that's the point <laughs> Is it shifting and moving around from one color to another is it just a color that language cannot describe Mm, fine i see what you mean right like that's those are the kinds of details that hespi is trying to get out of dayton and he just doesn't do it but i think this is her way of like trying to get to know him better trying to draw him into a conversation you know so that they can get to know each other and he's just like not not uh not giving her anything to work with yeah well we've all been there (laughs) and as we are about to see, all of them interpret it differently. Oh, yeah. Yes. Very good. Mm-hmm. Excited for that on tomorrow's page. Indeed. Uh, do you have anything else you want to bring up on this one? I don't. Do we have more mail? Oh, boy, do we? All right. Ooh, mail bag. Mail bag. Mail bag. Uh, so this letter is from Patrick. Uh, Patrick writes on the subject of page 531. Another Wait, road. Patrick Rothfuss? No, Patrick, not Rothfuss. Oh. Uh, Patrick writes on another road, another forest. Um, Hello, pagers. Just a quick note this time. When discussing the title of this chapter, you missed the most obvious meaning. Near the beginning of the chapter, Tempe says, rain would make this another road, this forest, another forest. Thanks as always, Patrick, not Rothfuss. Patrick, you are so right, and I'm kicking myself because, as usual, the most obvious meaning is the best and most important meaning. So uh, I, I, mean, I apologize. That is how you normally roll. I apologize <laughs> for my sinful uh, non-recognition of this element, and I will be flogging myself uh, later on. I mean, don't take it too hard, Jeremy. 
<laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> uh, and and indeed, she will say it tomorrow on another page. Of the wind.